So thank you so much for having us here. The last three weeks have been such a blast for us. Um, and you, you're, you just have a sweet community. You have a sweet family. So thank you for the opportunity of being a part of it, just a little part of it these last few weeks. Today we're going to be back in the book of Colossians 3, uh, 12 through 17. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, we're going to have it projected up on the screen. But that's where we're going today. In these last three weeks, we've been in the book of Colossians, and we've been looking at how we have a new identity in Christ. We saw that the, the first week in verses 1 through 4. Then last week, we thought about how we put off the old self because of our identity. And now this week, we're going to look at how we put on the new self, how we live into our identity in Christ. And so that's where we're going today. So please follow along. I'm going to be in the ESV translation. Any trans translation is fine, uh, but I encourage you to follow along in your, in your own Bibles. In the 1850s in France, a new movement of art was beginning to develop. Before this period, it was called the Romantic Movement, or the Romantic Period. And in this time, the art was characterized by hyper-emotionalism and, and fantastic pictures. For instance, artists in the Romantic Period might have painted things like wars of the Greek gods against each other, or weddings of aristocratic weddings. But what happened in the 1850s was a new movement, and it was called the Realist Movement or realism. And in this movement, what happened was they revolted against this hyper-emotional uh, movement of romanticism, and they began painting things that they saw in the real world. They would, instead of things like uh, aristocratic weddings and battles between the Greek gods, they would paint things like peasants in a field, or people, just people in a street or in a cafe. In other words, if the romantic art could be judged by how much this art moved you, and how much it was, how grand it was. You could judge realistic art or realism art by asking yourself this question. How much does this art look like the real world? How much does this art align with reality? That was the test to see what is good and what is bad in this new style of art. So in the last three weeks, we thought about the Christian life. We thought about how we have a new identity. We put off the old self this week what it looks like to put on the new self. And what we saw is that we as Christians, we don't try to just be better people. Well, Christians, what we try to do is we try to be more like the perfect person. We try to be more like Jesus Christ. So just like how the realist artists could judge the quality of their work by asking themselves, how much does this painting portray reality? How much does this painting align with reality? We as Christians, we can ask ourselves, uh, and judge how faithful we are in our walk with the Lord by asking ourselves, how much does our life align with Christ? How much do we look like Jesus Christ, the perfect person? And we're going to look at that a bit more today. And we're going to think about how to put on the new self. What we're doing is we're putting on the person of Christ. We're being conformed more and more into his image. So join me in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be faithful or thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we come once again and look at it together because we believe it's powerful, we believe it's authoritative, coming straight from you. We believe that it's coming straight from you, and so we want to dwell on it. We want to meditate on it. We want it to change the way we think, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we treat each other. We want this word to be the most powerful influence in our lives, Lord. So as we think about it today, I pray you'd give us a clear and a good grasp of what it's saying to us today. I pray that if I say anything that isn't true, that it would just pass by them. They wouldn't hear it. And I pray that anything that comes straight from you, Lord, it would go straight into our hearts, and it would change us. Your word is powerful and active, and it will do this. So, Lord, we pray that it would work in your word, through your word today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're beginning in verse 12. And as we look right at the beginning of this passage, we see Paul's doing the same thing again that he did last week. He's looking back at the first few verses, and he's building the foundation upon which the rest of the passage is going to come. He says this in verse 12. He calls us God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is who we are. This is our identity. So Paul returns and reminds us of this identity. And so we could think for a long time about what each one of these means. What does it mean to be chosen? What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be beloved? And if we thought about those for a long time, the more we thought about them, uh, it would be an amazing time of just worship, thinking, oh my goodness, God loves me this much. He has made me holy. He has chosen me. But I think Paul has a specific purpose for zeroing in on these couple characteristics. Chosen, holy, and beloved. Why does God call us, or why does Paul choose to call us, chosen, holy, and beloved? I don't think he picked these three descriptions at random. In Luke 23, 35, uh, we see the rulers mock Jesus, and they say to him, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen one. Then Jesus died. He rose again, proving his power over death and proving to the people that he was that chosen one. He was the one that God chose as the Messiah. Then in Mark 1, 24, the demons cry out to Jesus, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus is the Holy One. Matthew 3, 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the beloved one. You see, in these passages, Jesus is the chosen one. Jesus is the holy one. Jesus is the beloved one. And so when Paul picks these three descriptions of who we are in Christ, we are chosen, we are holy, we are beloved, he chooses these three descriptions because they, are, they describe us because we are in Christ. By choosing these three descriptions, Paul is reminding us, you are in Christ. Therefore, because you're in Christ, you are the chosen, the holy, beloved ones of God. 
And so once he lays this foundation, Paul builds upon this foundation to tell us how we live into this new identity. How do we live as the chosen, holy, and the beloved ones of God? But before we go on and we look at that question, I want to just pause and remind us about what we thought last week. When we looked at how we put off the old self, how do we put to death what's earthly in us? Before we did any of that, we stopped and we reminded ourselves, this isn't something we can do alone. This is something that God, if we are in Christ, he's put the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit works this in us. So before we go into this passage, let's just remember that firm foundation. God calls us to live this way, but God doesn't call us to live this way alone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So as we think through these, be reminded and be encouraged by the reality Christ is going to be in us, working these through us and in us, with us, as we long to live like this. So here we go. Looking into verse 12. What does it look like to put on Christ? Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Last week, Paul gives us a couple lists of sins, outlining what it looks like, the old way of life looks like, that we ought to put off. Now, this way, he gives us a list of virtues. He gives us a list of virtues that shows us how God's chosen, holy, and beloved ones want to live. So let's go through these really quickly. Compassionate heart. Compassion means feeling what another person feels. So the poor and the broken, the hurting in our midst, do you feel what they're feeling? Does that move you to compassion? Kindness. This is acting kindly to those you interact with on a day-to-day basis, your family, people who serve you in the grocery store, people you just see on the streets. Are you kind? Humility. Not considering yourselves better than others, but being a servant to all people. Meekness. This is an attitude of humble submission to God and gentleness to each other. And then patience. Paul describes it himself here, saying, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. This is what it looks like to put on Christ. This is what it looks like to put on the virtues of Christ. Does this remind you of anyone? (laughs) When I look at these lists of virtues, I can't help but see Jesus Christ in them. I can't help but see these virtues describing our Lord. They describe the one in whom we have our new identity, don't they? Jesus is the one who looked with compassion on the poor and the lowly around him. Jesus is the one who showed kindness to the outcasts and to children. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross, Philippians 2, 8 tells us. Jesus is the one who in his meekness says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, Matthew eleven twenty nine. And Jesus is the one who is so patient with us that we sin and repent and sin and repent and sin and repent and sin and sin and sin. And he is patient with us and forgiving to us. Paul holds up Jesus in this passage as the example of forgiveness, saying, as he has forgiven, so also you must forgive. Jesus is the model. Jesus is who Paul is describing with these virtues. And Jesus is the one who Paul is saying, we need to put on. Will we put on Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit? So Paul is holding up Jesus and saying, he is the goal. 
put on Christ-like life. And if we are, if we do, if he has put the spirit in us to work this in us, this is what it means to live the Christian life. This is the title we're given as followers of Jesus. Christians, little Christ, Christians. It's our, it's, our, it's, our, it's our name. It's who we are. We're little Christ. And so our goal is not just simply to be better people. Our goal is to look more like the perfect person, Jesus Christ. To put on the new self by putting on Christ. If you are in Christ, we share in the blessings of Christ. Chosen, holy, beloved. And if we are in Christ, we seek to share in the virtues of Christ. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness. But Paul holds up one virtue above the rest. He takes one virtue and elevates it above the rest in, vor- in verse 14. And he gives this one supremacy all of, over all of them. Uh, look with me in verse 14. And above all these, put on love. And above all these, Put on love. Why love? Why does Paul take love and elevate it above all the rest and saying, you ha- must put love on above all of these? Over the last couple years, um, Olivia and I have been in this stage of life where almost everybody we know has been getting married. <laughs> all of our friends are getting married, and I think I've been to more weddings in the last few years than I've been in the rest of my years, my life combined. And as you go to these weddings, you begin to see patterns of what happens in Right? They, they have the same songs that they dance to. They have the same rituals of braiding of cords, lighting candles, pouring sand. But also as you go to these weddings, you begin to see a pattern of the verses that the pastors choose to preach from. One of them uh, is out of Ephesians, and the other one is out of 1 Corinthians 13. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, and it says this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This verse, it tells us what the nature of love is. It shows us what love is, and it really what it tells us is that love is expressed in a posture of humble self-sacrifice to the other person. Love is expressed in a posture of humble self-forgetfulness before the person you love. That's what love is. And so I think this is really a perfect verse for weddings because what makes a good marriage? Humbly self-serving the other person. But I think as we look at this, this description of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is remarkably similar to Colossians 3. It's remarkably similar to the virtues that we're asked to put on in in this passage. It says love is patient. We see that in our passage in verse 13 and 12. Love is kind. We see that here in verse 12 as well. Love does not envy or boast. We see that in humility, verse 12. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. That's weak. That's meekness, verse 12 as well. And so these virtues that we see in Colossians 3, they're used to describe love in 1 Corinthians. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us that as we look at these lists of virtues in Colossians 3, they're summed up with love. Love is the key ingredient to all of these virtues that we're meant to put on as we live like Christ. We put them above all others. We put on compassion, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience. And when we do, we put on love. Because when we love, we live into these virtues. When you truly love somebody, you live into these virtues that Paul's calling us to live by. This is something I experienced in my own life. And uh, Olivia and I, we live in an apartment building where um, a couple years ago, there were some people that we just didn't click with naturally. You know, we were oil, they were water. It just wasn't a natural fit. Um, and so for us, we would try to be neighborly to them and nice to them. But you know there's just people in your life that it's just not easy to do so. And I began to realize there's a difference between acting lovingly towards somebody and actually loving them. There's a huge difference between acting lovingly and loving them. And so over the year that we were with them, we tried to act lovingly towards them. We were nice to them. We would stop and chat with them. But I didn't love them. I didn't seek their happiness and their joy before my own. I didn't have this posture of humble self-sacrifice. And so Olivia and I, we began to pray, asking the Lord to change our hearts to actually help us love these people, to actually desire their good before our own, actually desire fellowship with them. And slowly over the year, God began to work this in us to give us a desire to live this way with them, to actually love them from our hearts. And as he worked that in us, as we began to love them more and more, these virtues became more and more natural to us. No longer was it something forced, maybe even something fake, when we were just acting lovingly towards them, but to come to them in compassion, in kindness, in humility, meekness, and patience. It stopped being something forced, and it became something natural. So when we love somebody, these virtues follow Love is the key ingredient to truly living into these virtues. In my own life, that, uh, that, that was done imperfectly. I never fully got to the point where uh, I loved them as much as Christ loved me. But Christ is the perfect picture of love. That he's the one who told his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that, that he lay down his life for his friends, and then he did it. He's the perfect picture of love. So when we put on these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness, we put on Christ. Because he loved the world so much that he came to die for the world so that we can live. What a picture of humble self-sacrifice. What a picture of love. To put on the new self, to put on Christ, his virtues, and his love. We have to ask the question, how? How do we put on Christ? How do we put on these virtues? Last week we thought about how we put off the old self, and we do so by seeking sin, hating sin, and then killing, neglecting our sin. But how do we put on the new self? I don't think it's as linear as that. I don't think there's a three-step process to putting on the new self. I found in my own life, I've seen in other people's life, that as they walk with Christ, the more they come to know Christ, the more they come to love Christ, the more they put Christ on. This is a lifelong journey, and there is no quick fix. But how do we put on Christ? How do we look more like him and put on his virtues? I think we pray, and we ask the Holy Spirit that he would reveal God to us in a deeper and in a real way, that he would give us a more passionate and desperate love for our Savior, that we would see more clearly who he is and how glorious he is, 
pray that God would reveal Christ to us, that, Christ, that the Holy Spirit would reveal Christ to us, and that he, we would see him clearly. And then we go to the places where we find him. Go to the Word. Go to prayer. Go to kingdom service. Go to fasting. Come and worship with your community. In these places, we see Christ. We meet Christ more fully. We come to love Christ more deeply. And our hearts are transformed. And we desire to live for Christ. Our love for Christ pours out in holy living. And we put on these virtues in the process. And so as we find Christ in these places, in his word, in prayer, in community, in service, we come and love him more fully, and he does that work in us. He changes our hearts, and we put on Christ more and more. So yes, we work to put on this virtue. There is an effort in living into this new identity, but we cannot do it on our own. We don't have the strength. Just like we didn't have the strength to put off the old self, we don't have the strength to put on the new self but we have the Holy Spirit working in us. And the one who is perfectly compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, and loving can do this work to make us look like him. And so we don't do this on our own. We do this in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But now as we move on to the next two verses, we see that we also do this with other people. We do this in the context of community. We thought about this last week, didn't we, when we thought about how we are not saved alone, but we're saved, we're saved into this community of Christ, into the church. And Christ is renewing us all together into his own image. So as he helps us all together put off the old self, in verses 15 and 16, we see that we all together put on Christ as one. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. When I left high school, I was leaving also a church community that I had been in for years. Like The people in this church helped raise me. They knew me, I knew them, and it was easy to be in that community. Uh, I knew the love of Christ in that community. I'd spent my whole life in that community. But when I left and I went to college in Chicago, I didn't have that community anymore. I was on my own. And so I began a long process of trying to find a church that actually showed me the love of Christ in the way that my church before had shown me the love of Christ. Now, one summer I moved out to the Chicago suburbs, and I was working out there for the summer. And I, uh, I got involved in a church out in the suburbs. It was in a town called Bartlett, Illinois. And as I got into this church, I began uh, to know people in this church. The people in this church showed me the love of Christ. They adopted me in. I lived in one of their basements. They gave me a car for the summer. This church showed me the love of Christ unlike any other church I'd ever been in. It showed me what the body of Christ could be. That the body of Christ, if we put on the virtues of Christ, compassion, kindness, love, we look like Christ. We're a picture of Christ to the world around us. We're a picture of Christ to each other. In our time already here in this church, like I was saying before, we've seen the love of Christ in this body in different ways. We've heard stories about how this family has been sharing the love of Christ amongst each other for the last 10 years. 
the body of Christ is the church, and so the church puts on characteristics. But how does the church do it? How does the church put on these characteristics? Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. When Paul is talking about the peace of Christ here in this verse, what he's talking about is the peace that he begins to talk about back in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 20. Because in that verse he says this, Jesus reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. This peace that we experience in our salvation, that we experience by what he did on the cross, it's a gospel peace. It's a peace that we have when we have a sure and confident hope that this life isn't all there is. There's a peace that we have in our heart knowing that we are not alone in this world. We don't live it on our own. We have the spirit. We have each other. And we have a sure and confident hope in the future. That's the peace that each of us can have. And it's the peace that we can share with one, and the, one another in the body of Christ. And so let this peace rule in our hearts, control the way that we live when it, with one another in community, and let this peace make us into one unified body. That's one way that the body of Christ lives into the characteristics of Christ. Then he goes on in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ here, what it's referring to is the message of Christ, the word of truth. In other words, it's referring to the gospel. How do we let the gospel dwell in us richly? Well, it tells us in this passage, doesn't it? We teach one another about Christ, searching through his scriptures, we admonish one another to put on Christ, encouraging and rebuking one another as we try to conform our lives more and more to the image of Christ, putting off and putting on. And then we worship together and letting the joy that we have together in Christ pour out in song. I got to see this family's love of Christ when I was here singing with you and was looking around and just saw people's hands raised and singing to the Lord. I got to see your love for Christ. This is how we put on the love of Christ. We teach, we admonish, we worship together. And Paul knows that this process of putting off the old and putting on the new will not be done in this lifetime. Paul knows that even at this point, we have more to put off, individually and as a, as in a community. And we also have more to put on. The Spirit is still working in us. We're being transformed more and more like him. And that takes a lifetime, and he knows that. And that's why he begs us to get together, put on Christ. Put on the peace of Christ, and let it rule in your hearts and in this community. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, not sin. So in this passage, in these last two verses, Paul is calling us as a community of believers to live together into a community characterized by the peace and the truth found in the gospel. That's what these two verses are about. And when we do so, we as a community will put on Christ. We'll show Christ. We'll show the love of Christ, the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the forgiveness, the patience. This is how we put on Christ. So these last three weeks, we've seen a picture of how our identity as people who are in Christ it causes us to look more like Christ. 
and transforms our life. We together as a community and as individuals, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put off the old self. We're done with that. We put on new lives. We have a new identity that we work and we muscle together to live into by his power. And so now as we get to this final verse, it's, verse 17 is not just the end of the verse that we're looking at today. It's also a verse that's a perfect conclusion for the whole three verses that, or uh, passages that we saw the last three weeks. Look with me in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. Let your identity in Christ rule each and everything you do in your entire life. We've seen this throughout the verse. Put on Christ in verse 3. And know that you have died with him and been raised with him. Verse 4. Put on Christ, seeking the things above. Verse 4. Put on Christ and set your minds on the things above. Verse 4. Put on Christ, knowing that when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Put on Christ by throwing off the old way of life with its worldly acts thoughts, and words, verses 6 through 8. Put on Christ, throwing off the divisions that deeply divide our community and culture, verse 11. Put on Christ by living as the chosen, holy, and beloved ones, verse 12. Put on Christ by loving like Christ, verse 12. Put on Christ by letting his peace and words rule in your hearts and in our communities, verses 15 and 16. And now, put on Christ by doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our identities in Christ change everything. They change our lives, they change our hearts, they change the way we live, they change the way we live together. And so as we seek to be lights in our world, as we seek to live in a way that honors the Lord, it's all founded on who we are, that we have new life, that our old way of life is gone and the new one has come and he is helping us live into that new reality. So put on Christ, put on the new self, by putting on the person and the works of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this word has been such um, an encouragement to me as I've thought through it and prayed through it. And Father, I am um, amazed yet again how a word that was written 10, 000, or <laughs> 2,000 years ago still is directly applicable to the life that we're living today. It is no less true. It is no less powerful. It has no less ability to change our lives. Lord, you, you work through your word. So we pray, Lord, as we think about this, that you would work through it in our lives, that we would think, act, speak, live differently. That we would put off the old self and put on the new self. Because this is who we are. We are people who are in Christ, who have trusted in the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth, bore our sins, died on the cross in our place, so that if we are in him, we died with him, and he rose again, so that if we're in him, then we rose also with him, and our life is hidden with him now, in heaven. This is the truth of who we are, Lord. Thank you for this unbelievable truth. And I pray that it would now change our lives, as you work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that we know that you will be with us. So we pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen.